we're getting back into our helicopter um, because we are taking up again what I have sort of called this series is a helicopter ride over the letters of the New Testament. And so far, we've, uh, we've been in Romans, and each time we're using just one word that I've borrowed from Warren Wearsby. Romans, the thing that sort of captures the essence of that letter is this, be right, be right, be right with God. We've done 1 Corinthians, be wise. 2 Corinthians, be encouraged. Galatians, be free. Ephesians, be rich. Philippians, be joyful. And Colossians, be complete. That's where we've got so far. What we're going to do today is we're going to think about the Thessalonian correspondence of the Apostle Paul. First and second Thessalonians. And the one word that Wearsby uses, and I'll do a straw poll, and we'll see if you all agree, because he has nailed it, uh, is be ready. Be ready. Ready for what? Well, I had to select a key verse. It's a wee bit more difficult when you're straddling two letters, but I think this is a good key verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, which says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's praying that the believers will be so impacted by the work of God that in their entirety, they'll be taken forward and presented faultless when Jesus comes back. It's long been pointed out that the Lord's return is actually mentioned in every chapter in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is five chapters. It's also mentioned at considerable length in the first two chapters of 2 Thessalonians, which is three chapters long, and if you really want to check it out, there is a disputed reference in chapter 3, verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians, which some say is referring to the Lord's return. So at the very least, the Lord's return is mentioned in seven out of eight chapters, or possibly in all eight. Now, Remember that when Paul wrote the letters, he didn't write them in chapters and verses. That came many centuries later, added so that we could be helped in our, in our studying of the letters. But you get the point. The truth of the Lord's return dominates these two letters. And it's probably fair enough for us to group the two letters together. It's the first time we've done that. But there's universal agreement that the second letter followed hard on the heels of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Why? Well, there were a couple of follow-up matters that really required urgent attention. There was a bit of confusion around the day of the Lord, and Paul had to address that. 
And there was also the continuing issue of idleness and sponging within the Christian community. Paul has to return to that, and he actually has to deal with it at greater length in the second letter. Now, if I'm trying to look at the teaching of all eight chapters, both letters, I would say to you there's probably three sort of main blocks of material or areas of truth in the Thessalonian correspondence. When I prepared for this, I did cover all three. I then had a little run through my talk and in the interest of your Sunday dinner, we're just going to address the first two of those. But I'll mention the third, and you can go back and read these letters for yourself and see, yep, I see what issue is being dealt with there. But as I've said already, perhaps the most obvious issue is the area of teaching on the subject of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, these letters are among the very earliest from the Apostle Paul, possibly the earliest letters that he wrote to churches. And that shows you something, that it shows you the place that the Lord's return held in the early church. It was a very significant aspect of their faith. As always, when it comes to the Lord's return, the teaching was not given, you know, for some sort of theological titillation, you know, to generate speculation. It was given for practical purposes. That's why I chose that key verse. As we're heading towards the Lord's return, we want God to work in us so that we'll be presented faultless, soul, spirit, and body thoroughly. God will sanctify us through and through. It's not so that we can argue with people about the minutiae of events around the Lord's return. And in actual fact, through using the Thessalonian letters, where the people of God really grasp the truth of the Lord's return, where it is really central in their Christian lives, it will promote three things. We're going to spend a bit of time on this. Here's a healthy hold on the truth that Jesus is coming back. Number one, it will, it will comfort and encourage those who grieve for fellow believers. We have one of the most popular scripture readings at funerals in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. I think that's wonderful that it's read in funerals. I think it's a tragedy that it's often not read outside of funerals. But here, let me read it to you very quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Just note that. Mankind has no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Take that back to the dinner table today. You sit, very possibly, with hopeless people. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. You see, the concern at Thessalonica was this. Some believers had died. Would they thereby miss out on or be disadvantaged in some way because they wouldn't be alive when Christ returned? And Paul writes to reassure these hurting believers who had seen loved ones pass on in death. He writes to reassure them that this is most certainly not the case. He says the dead, when Christ comes, the dead will actually rise first in resurrected bodies. And together with the believers who are still alive at that time, we'll all be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There is no disadvantage whatsoever for those who have died in faith. And I think that's a very precious word. You know, our grieving may be real. Real, and the Bible never downplays the reality of grieving. It's hope-filled grieving. But whilst we may miss our fellow believers, they will not miss out on the Lord's return and in the glory of that occasion when the bridegroom comes for the bride. So if you're a believer and you really grasp onto the truth of the Lord's return, first thing it will do is generate comfort and encouragement for those we see go on in death. Secondly, it will promote watchfulness in the life of the believer. And we go into 1 Thessalonians 5 for this. Let's, let's read again. Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober 
putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The day of the Lord, that is when God's judgment comes upon this earth, it will overtake a sleeping, complacent, stupefied world living in the darkness of sin. But Christ's people do not belong to this spiritual darkness. Knowing that the Lord is coming again, Paul says we are awake and we are sober. That is, we are spiritually alert and self-controlled. In fact, we armor up. We put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. See, the day of the Lord holds no fear whatsoever for the believer because we know we've not been appointed unto wrath but to receive salvation through Christ. Now, it was confusion around the arrival of the day of the Lord that prompted Paul to write to the Thessalonians a second time. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 clears up their confusion. You see, the Thessalonian believers were enduring persecution. Life was really tough, we'll see in a moment. But Paul says, no, don't, don't misunderstand. You have not entered the day of the Lord. Despite what has been circulated in Paul's name, some letter or report saying that that was the case. And the believers are going, are we in the day of the Lord? Is this it? And Paul says, no, they can be sure. They have not entered the day of the Lord because the final rebellion has not yet come. The lawless one has not yet been revealed and the restrainer has not yet been removed. And what was true for the Thessalonian believers then is still true for us today. The day of the Lord still lies ahead. But things will change. Christ will return. The day of the Lord will come. Now, Believers may take differing views on the sequencing of events surrounding Christ's return, but this should never be allowed to rob us of our fundamental unity and what is our common hope. Christ is coming back. No matter what our preferred 
prophetic scheme is. We are all called to watchfulness. For the coming of the Lord draws ever nearer. And you know, our stance is to be exactly the same as the stance of the Thessalonian believers in the first century. This is what Paul wrote about them in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Jesus who delivers us from the coming wrath. That's how they lived their lives. Rejecting their old idolatry. Serving God day by day. Waiting. Waiting for Jesus the deliverer to come. If we truly get the truth of the Lord's return, it will comfort and encourage us in respect of those who have gone on before. They'll not miss out. It will make us watchful, knowing that it's coming, not sharing in the, the, the dullness of this world to spiritual reality. We know they can say peace and safety and live in that delusion. We know the day of the Lord's coming. And thirdly, if we truly grasp the truth of the Lord's return, it will promote perseverance in face of adversity. We go to 2 Thessalonians for this. This is a solemn passage. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting the vocabulary that Paul uses to describe day-to-day -day life for the Thessalonian believers. Persecutions, trials, suffering, trouble. 
That was their lot. Paul says in his letter that they were now enduring the unjust suffering that the believers in Judea were suffering at the hands of their fellow countrymen. They have entered the common experience of the saints. But there is a day coming when the injustice of their situation will be put right. Their suffering will end and God's righteous justice will come. And he tells us when this is going to happen. This will happen when Jesus returns. So Paul prays that in the meantime, the believers will know God's power so that they can live lives worthy of their calling to suffer for Christ in this period of waiting. He prays that they will live lives of such quality that they will glorify Jesus and that Jesus will be glorified in them. So it's worth just summarizing what Thessalonians has to teach us concerning the Lord's return. If we truly grasp its significance, it will comfort and encourage us as we see our fellow members dying. We'll have hope. They're not going to be disadvantaged in any way when Christ comes. It will keep us watchful and spiritually alert in this dark world. It will burn up the dross of this world's attempt to make us live for nothing. And it will keep us faithfully pressing on, notwithstanding the cost involved, because we know that justice is coming. Brothers and sisters, Let's keep the truth of the Lord's return central in our community of faith. Why is it that we neglect something that is so energizing and equipping for the people of God? Now, as I said, there's three blocks of material. One, the dominant one, is the truth concerning the Lord's return. There are two other areas, and I'm just going to mention one. Um, in common with all Paul's letters, or the other apostles' letters, to churches, you'll always get a section in which the apostles give instructions to the people of God on how they are to live together in community. This is what's to shape our lives. So when you come to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you in how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm lifting this straight from Brother Wearsby. When it comes to how we're to live in community with one another, Wearsby gives us five H's. This is a great little outline, and I'm just going to take you through some of it quite quickly. 
Here's how we're to live as the people of God as we move towards the coming of the Lord and as Paul prays that we'll be sanctified through and through, body, soul, spirit, that will progress in blamelessness to the coming of the Lord. Here's the first one. Live in holiness. Holiness. Chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. How often do you hear, I'm not sure what God's will for my life is? He's just told us. Totally set apart for God. You get that right, all the detail will follow. Dead simple. Dead simple. Christian living is not complicated. It's challenging, but it isn't complicated. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that each, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Live in holiness, particularly in relation to sexual purity. Believers are indwelled in their bodies. God is present. He has taken up resonance in his people by the Holy Spirit. And the implications of this is in the title, says Paul. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. So to live an impure life is to reject the reality of being a child of God. How could we ever justify our accommodation with impurity because we've been given the Holy Spirit. It's not to say it's not a struggle, but we never ever attempt to justify. We're called to honor God with our bodies and not to indulge our sexual urges and desires in a way that unbelievers feel perfectly entitled to do. And in God's sight, there is no such a thing as casual sexual activity. Sex is sacred ground. Live in holiness. Verse 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians, here's our second age. Live in harmony. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. What a snapshot of a genuinely loving Christian community. I always say this when speaking on this. What do you say to believers 
when, you, when you're present in their community and their love for one another is so present and real, what do you say to them? You say what Paul said to them. More and more. More and more. No, no settling down. You don't simply congratulate them. You challenge them to press on in that direction. In fact, more and more, here's one for you, let me test for you. Paul uses that phrase three times in the New Testament. They're all in the Thessalonian correspondence. He sees thing in these, things in these believers that rejoices his heart, and he says, right, guys, come on, more and more. No settling down, no back down. Keep going. I'm going quickly. And I really do want to touch on this. Live, here's our third one. Live in honesty. To continue in verse 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your own hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anyone. You see, here's the problem area. Thessalonians had got so much right. But here was the problem area that Paul puts his finger on. A certain element in the church, in the Christian community, was not pulling its weight. In the very basic matter, of providing for themselves. They were spongers. Abusing Christian charity, and as Paul says, they were making a nuisance of themselves, and they were actually discrediting their witness in the community. And sad to say that this issue is still unresolved when Paul writes to them for a second time, and it receives fuller attention in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15. And Paul lays it on the line. He says, these believers have got to be challenged. And if they do not respond, you don't associate with them. He says, now, you don't treat them as if they're an enemy. But they, they are not pulling their weight. That's a serious thing. You see, the Christian community... We sometimes wrestle with this. The Christian community is to be compassionate, but not naive. It is never to indulge members who wish to avoid personal responsibility and live off the kindness of others. That is a complete reversal of what a normal Christian life is meant to look like. And where we see that, we are to challenge it and deal with it accordingly so that that believer might get his or her life in line with their calling in Christ. Now, I want to say this. Paul was dealing with a very material expression of this sponging and idleness. You know, it was people were not working with their own hands so that they could provide food for themselves and their family. And Paul says it in the next letter, in 2 Thessalonians, he said, see if they won't work, they won't eat. That's not naive. 
He's dealing with a very tangible, in-your-face, material, physical blot there. Can I say there is a spiritual equivalent of this? There is a spiritual equivalent of sponging and idleness. Where in the community of faith, believers are quite happy not to pull their weight. They're quite happy to suck in. Sponges are great at sucking in. That's where sponger comes from. They're quite happy to live off the hard work of their brothers and sisters. Our prayer in Castlereagh Fellowship is that we won't have any spiritual spongers. Because the pattern in the New Testament is always this. Where you settle in the community of faith, you serve. Where you settle, you serve. That could be through prayer. That could be through giving. That could be through many, many, many different tasks. But see if you're sitting on the fringe. You've got to address that. There's no one justified in being spiritually idle and in sponging. You know what you need to do with a sponge? It needs to be squeezed. And I make no apology for saying, if you won't be squeezed in Castlereagh Fellowship, what are you doing here? We're here to be squeezed for God. The fourth H, and I haven't got time, it's live in hope, but we've dealt with that because we're talking about the Lord's return. And the final one is live in helpfulness. Just read from chapter 5, verse 12 to 28. That's all those short commands. Live like this, live like this, do this, do that. Honor those ones, watch out for them. Just read it. Live in helpfulness. Time's gone. It'll take you 20 minutes to read First and Second Thessalonians slowly. 20 minutes. Read it again and see how many of those things trigger. And ask God to speak into our lives so that God sanctifies us through and through. So that we're moving in blamelessness to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.